Well, I encourage you to turn with me in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, of course, the book of Deuteronomy is really an extended sermon from Moses as God's people stood practically on the brink of the Jordan River, prepared to go in and take that land which God had prepared for them and promised them. And so he was reminding them of all the things they had experienced, all the things they had gone through, but also how God would have them love him and serve him as they entered into that land. In Deuteronomy 5, he recounted to them how God gave the law from Mount Sinai and how that terrified them to hear the voice of God, but how they needed to hear those commands which revealed God to them and and revealed their calling before the Lord. Well, now in Deuteronomy 6, he speaks about the use of that law. He says, now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him, and shall take oaths in His name, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of these testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. 
And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Amen. Beloved congregation of God chosen in Christ, there are times in life when challenges arise that reveal our weakness vividly. You might feel like you're in pretty good shape, pretty good physical condition. And then you try to play a game of football with a bunch of teenage boys. Or maybe try to do your workout with a friend who happens to be a Marine. Or maybe you do pretty well with numbers. You pay your bills every week and you think, you know, I'm pretty good at this. And then you try to help one of your kids with their pre-calc homework. Or, or you think that you're pretty self-controlled. You're pretty, you're pretty on top of things. And then you decide to try a new diet with your wife. Sometimes it takes a genuine need, a need out of the ordinary, to reveal to us our deficiencies. And that brings us to God's law. Now when I speak about the law here, and when this chapter speaks of the law, it is speaking obviously in the first place to the Ten Commandments. That's the immediate context, isn't it? Immediately before this passage, we see the Ten Commandments laid out, those statutes which explicitly express the way in which God's people are called to live. But the law is bigger than that. That's really just a summary of the law. It also included (coughs) a number of statutes that set forth the ceremonial aspects of Israel's life. The worship they were to bring, along with sacrifices that pointed forward. The things that they were to keep themselves from. That they might show themselves holy in the sight of all the world. The ways that they were to seek cleansing when they had become defiled. There were also specific judgments which revealed the ways in which God's law was to function in the day-to-day life of the people. All of that together comprised the law that God gave to Israel. And that law comprised a challenge. In all of life, you must obey the Lord your God. However, they couldn't. Turns out they were weak. They were sinful. They were, in fact, corrupt in a way that absolutely prevented them from doing what the law commanded. And that's a big part of the reason why God gave the law. Yes, it was to spur them on to holiness. Yes, it was to reveal the image of God in them. But before it could do that, the law had to humble them and draw them to Christ, the promised Savior. And we see that reason, among other messages, in this chapter of Deuteronomy. Here we see how God gave His law to reveal Israel's need in the negative. That is, in what they couldn't do. And so that's our theme. God gave Israel His law in order to show them, to reveal to them their need in the negative. However, before we see the need, we're shown the overall aim of the law, which is twofold. And so our first point is the twofold goal of the law. The first 
goal of God's law is what we see in verses 1 and 2. All of God's law, the commands that display His authority, the statutes that show His endless power, the judgments that reveal God as the standard of what is good and bad, right and wrong. All of that law, says Moses, was meant to lead us to fear our God. Now, fearing the Lord involves more than just trusting Him. Kids, you know that, right? We see that phrase often in the Bible, fear the Lord your God. That means more than just trusting Him. Fearing God involves recognizing His authority as the great King who has the right to control every aspect of our lives. Fearing God involves grasping His power as the Creator and the Sustainer of all that is. It involves discerning His justice as the one before before whom all men must one day stand. It involves standing in awe of the majesty and the wisdom and the beauty of our God. Fearing the Lord involves holding in your heart this God as the one before whom you bow, the one who is more important to you, who holds more authority over you, who lodges in your heart more than anyone else. And that fear of the Lord is the calling of all men at every time in every place. Understand, that was not the calling of Israel alone. Our text is clear that that even among this generation to whom Israel or to whom Moses spoke they were to take that law and all that it said and they were to pass it on to their children and to their children's children and throughout the generations it wasn't just for them it was for all those who would follow and we find out later that it's not just for those who would follow in Abraham's line it's for all the families of the earth the law is the calling of all mankind and the means, or the, I'm sorry, not the law, the, the fear of the Lord is the calling of all mankind, and the means of showing the fear of the Lord is the law, is the obedience to which we are called. That's how we reveal our fear of the Lord. And so Moses urges them. He says, therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. Hear it, listen to it, pay attention to what God has said, and do it. Observe that law. Because God gave it to guide His people in fearing our God. And if we do, He says, great is the reward that awaits you. It will be well with you. Notice how vague that is, how broad. In every aspect of life, God will provide for you. He will keep you. He will lift you up. He will multiply you greatly. With many children, with much reward for your labor. His promises shall be fulfilled in you. All that He promised the forefathers will come to pass on the children who fear the Lord. That's the future of those who fear our God. However, that's only half of of the goal of this law. Verse 4 reminds Israel who this God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Unlike most of the ancient nations, Israel served only one God. They didn't serve different gods in different places or or worship different gods for different purposes. They serve one God, confessing that He alone is the true God. And so He alone is to be feared, He alone is to be served, and He alone is to be loved. That's the second goal of God's law. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. God doesn't want a superficial service from His people. 
That's the way people serve false gods. They see their gods as the Santa God, the one who gives them all the stuff they need. We see that all over our culture in the the false Christian-related religions. The name-it-and-claim-it health and wealth folks who gather great crowds with the promise that if they just do the right things, say the right things, believe the right things, then they'll get all the riches they want, all the work they want, all the reward, all the earthly blessing that they want. But that's superficial. It's right up on the surface. And likewise, those who who serve their false gods out of fear, because not, not the fear of the Lord, but out of the terror that their God is filled with wrath. And they have to appease that wrath somehow or else, or else they will have no hope. That's Islam. Right? There's no comfort. There's no joy. There's no love. There's just avoiding wrath. But God wants His people to take up His commands and put them in, his, in their heart. Because He wants to be in their heart. He wants to be loved by His people. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Don't just fear Him out of terror. Don't just serve Him out of mercenary desire to get stuff. But love Him. He's the one who made you. He's the one who sustains you. He is the one who has filled your life with good things. So love the Lord your God. And again... The law was given to help us do that. To cultivate a love for God that that doesn't just influence our minds, but our hearts and our hands and our desires and our everything. To cultivate that kind of love, God gave these commands about what we should do and these warnings about what we should reject. These testimonies about how God has blessed His people and these profiles of the character of our God. All of it aiming to cultivate within us a knowledge of who this God is and what He desires for us. Today, as in Moses' day, the law calls out to us with this twofold command. Fear the Lord your God and love Him with all that you are. And that means we need to take up this law with great care. Don't just skim over the words of the law. Don't just let, kids, don't just let the Ten Commandments just kind of wash past you every week. Stop and think, what does this say about my God? What does it say about Him that He will not tolerate any false gods in the life of His people? It says that He loves us, that He cherishes us, that He doesn't want us to be distracted by that which isn't real. He doesn't want to share us. With that which is false. What does it say? When God says you shall honor your father and your mother. Doesn't that say that God loved us so much that he gave us the parents that are perfect for us? They're not perfect, but they're perfect for us. They're the ones that God gave us to cultivate in us all of the gifts and the blessings that we've been given. What does it say when God says do not covet? Doesn't it say that... That He doesn't want us desiring what other people have because He's given us exactly what's perfect for us. That He knows us so well that He's given us precisely what we need. Study that law and what it says about the Lord. That you might learn to fear Him and to love Him and then spread that. Use the law of God. Use those commands to teach your neighbor what this God is like. But even more than that, 
Teach your children. Teach them around the dinner table. Tell them what this God is like. Read His Word to them. And don't just stop at reading it. Talk about it. What's this say about God? What's this say about our calling before the Lord? And don't stop at the dinner table. Take them out and do chores with them around the house. Don't just give them a list. Go with them. And talk about the Lord as you're doing it. And when you're helping them with their homework and they feel like this is pointless, I'm never going to use this, talk about how God has given us these opportunities to sharpen the gifts that we've been given. In other words, bring in the talk of God, the, the, what the Word of God reveals in all that you do, in your bedtime and in your dinner time, in your chores and in your recreation, in all that you do with your children, with your family. Because the more we study and the more we talk about the law of God, the more we learn why we ought to fear Him and why we ought to love Him and what that ought to look like. However, the law, even as it shows God to us, it also shows us more. The law reveals our calling to fear and to love the Lord, but it also shows what we ourselves are lacking. And so our second point is the tragic revelation of God's law. This section opens with a reminder of God's promises, starting in verse 10. Israel's about to take possession of a land that is absolutely filled with good things. Cities and farms, agriculture and architecture, all of it good. And yet none of it created by God's people. It would all be there waiting for them. And having received, they would eat and they would be satisfied, delighting in what God had given. But therein lies a danger. When you face need on every side, it's relatively easy to have faith in God, isn't it? When you're out in the wilderness, you have no choice but to trust in God to provide the food. There's no other food there. And likewise with our modern needs. When you're starting a new job and everything is a massive challenge that seems overwhelming to you. Or when you just got laid off and you have no idea how the bills are going to get paid. Or when you're surrounded by bullies out on the playground and there's not a teacher in sight. When you're in those situations trusting God... Well, that comes natural. There's, there's no one else to trust. But not so when we're in a place of plenty. When you feel like you're at the top of your game and the bonuses just keep rolling in and you just can't do wrong. When you're physically fit and you feel capable and bulletproof. When you're coasting through school and, and you have plenty of friends and life seems like a breeze. Those are the times when it's a lot easier to look in the mirror than up to heaven. You start to think that you yourself are pretty competent. That you yourself have done all of this. Or at the very least, you're so distracted by all the good things that you neglect to give thanks to God. Well, that's the situation into which Israel is about to enter. So Moses warns them and warns us against the tendency to forget God. Sometimes that tendency involves false gods. For Israel, this land they were about to enter would be filled with evidence of the worship of false gods. And it would be tempting to take up that worship. For all our talk about how we don't like change, we actually do like novelty. Right? We get bored of the same old, same old. Well, God has only given us one kind of worship. But these people, they have all kinds of different worship. And they're tempted to take that up and to to at least supplement the worship of the true God with that worship. Or, or maybe to think very liberally and, and say, you know, we ought to be open-minded. We know that, that this God is 
the God, but but might not they have something, you know, when they when they talk about these other gods, might they not be lesser gods? Maybe we should cover all the bases. Right? It's just a it's just a happy tradition, you know, it's fun for the kids. We don't have to be serious about it. And so they would be tempted to worship false gods or to worship the true God in false ways. Folks, we face that temptation in countless ways. Of course, our culture has its false religions, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the, Mo- the Muslims, the New Age stuff. That's all out there. Some of the, the latest and greatest is humanism and socialism. Those are real false gods that folks are tempted to worship, in which they're tempted to place their trust. But I'm here to tell you, folks, the more subtle gods are the more dangerous ones. Money and power, putting that on the altar. Power or popularity, making that the thing that controls you, that that directs your life. Entertainment and experience. You only live once. You've got to live it to the fullest. Those are the false gods that surround us, folks. And it's upon those false gods that we're tempted to lavish our love. But we must not. Because we serve a jealous God. Not jealous in a bad sense, the kind of jealousy that creates suspicion, but jealous in a good sense. The kind of jealousy that that a husband has who loves his wife and doesn't want her to put anyone else before him. The kind of jealousy that, that cherishes its object and therefore isn't willing to share. Our God delights in His people and He doesn't want us... To spread our love around to other gods, especially gods that don't exist. He doesn't want us to to embrace that which would destroy us. Our God is jealous for His people with a holy jealousy. And so He cannot and will not overlook our infidelity toward Him. Folks, this is a warning for us. God showed His love for us by sending His Son to die so that we might live. There is no greater love than that. Now how can we respond to that love by even thinking of worshiping some other God? How can we respond to that love by giving the true God anything less than our passionate devotion? And yet in our plenty, in our success, In our abundance, that's exactly what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to serve the the false gods of this world. Trading the true glory of our God for the false glory of the creation. And thereby earning for ourselves unending wrath. Folks, that is precisely what we will do left to ourselves. We'll go after the empty gods of this world. We'll neglect the true God. That is the tragic revelation of our unfaithfulness. And so the law shows us if we're to stand before God in faith, if we're to not turn away unfaithfully to those false gods, we need His help. We need His help desperately because if Israel's history shows us nothing else, it shows us that it doesn't take long at all for folks to forget the true God and to devote themselves to the worthless idols of the world. If we're to stand before God, we can't trust in us. Meanwhile, the law reveals another unflattering revelation about us. 
verse 16, he says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massah. That's a little bit of a, a sucker punch for him. You remember the story of Massah, Exodus 17. That was the place where they showed up and there was no water. And even though God had consistently provided water for them all the time, and He had consistently provided food for them every day, they started grumbling and complaining against God. They started thinking they'd have been better off back in Egypt. They started attributing their deliverance from Egypt not to God but to Moses so that they could slam Him. That quick, they turned from rejoicing in God's provision to rebelling against Him. And Moses brings that up again. He says, don't forget that temptation. Because it's not always going to be happy smiles in Canaan. You're going to go in there, there's going to be riches, there's going to be crops, there's going to be cities, it's going to be great. But then sometime there's going to come a locust plague or sometime there's going to come a famine. And God's not going to use it to totally destroy you, but He's going to use it to test you and see if if you're going to really trust in Him. And don't forget Massah. Don't forget how quickly your discomfort turns into rebellion. Again, folks, that's a warning for us. Right now, it's kind of easy to serve the Lord for most of us. Things are going pretty well. But then suddenly... We get sick. We get laid off. Or it seems like all our friends turned against us and we're alone. And our temptation is to blame God. To focus, rather than focusing on God's sovereignty and fearing the Lord right through it, our temptation is to focus on that momentary discomfort and allow that to overshadow all else like Israel did out in the wilderness and to say, you know what, I'd be better off if I was trusting in myself. I'd be better off if I was calling the shots. I'd be better off if. Or, or blaming those God has set over us. You guys just led us in totally the wrong direction. We just, we don't trust you. We want to cast a vote of, of no longer having confidence. Forgetting that God is leading us through them. That God is drawing us to Himself through them. Instead of that, in the midst of our struggle, we're called to trust God absolutely. Verse 17. Keep God's commandments diligently. Not because that will merit anything in God's sight, but in obeying God. We show that He's the one we fear regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the hardship. That's the antithesis of testing God like Israel did out in the wilderness. And God delights in those who embrace that antithesis. Verses 18 and 19 says, He will bless those who fear Him. It will be well with you, and you will receive what He has promised. But again, brothers and sisters, we can't do it. Our tendency in sinful self-reliance is to do precisely what we should not. To forget God and all of His mercies when things get just a little bit difficult. To test God, questioning His love. To rely on ourselves, elevating ourselves to the throne. It's the tragic revelation of God's law that shows why we cannot be trusted. We can't. Kids, don't ever forget that. 
Don't go off to the workplace. Don't head out to that institution of higher learning thinking you are sufficient. You've got it all under control. You can stand up against any opposition. You can withstand any storm. You can't do it. The history of Israel demonstrates that to us and the law testifies to it boldly. You cannot stand by your power, by your strength, by your conviction. Only God can enable you to stand. And that's the last thing this law shows us. That's the enduring testimony of God's law that we see in verses 20 through 25. Note well, the law brings a testimony that leads to life, but we need to apply that testimony properly. It's easy. It's easy to apply the law legalistically. You know what I mean by that? To apply the law legalistically means to apply it on the surface, to focus on appearances, to focus on how we look toward other people. The thing is, that doesn't penetrate the heart. That doesn't really lead us to love the Lord and to submit ourselves fully to Him in the fear of the Lord. If we're to apply that law truly, we need to meditate on it and allow it to shape our faith. And that's that's what he calls us to do here. Verse 20 says, there'll come a time when our kids will ask, what do you mean by this law? You know, in the Hebrew, if you look in our, our pew Bibles, there's italicized words. Those are words supplied by the translator. In the Hebrew, the question is incredibly vague. What... This law. What the testimonies and statutes and judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you. What? What is it? What does it mean? What does it... Or how does it function? It's a broad command. Because you see, kids... Kids are terribly insightful. You can't... You can't pull one over on them. They know that you've been given that law. They hear you read that law. They, they gather every Lord's Day to hear the word of the Lord spoken. But then they look at your life, my life, our life. And they say, well, you're not doing what it said. You're falling short in this way and this way and this way and this way. So if we don't do it, then what's the purpose of it? Every teenager thinks it if they're not saying it. Because they see our hypocrisy. They see our faults and our failures. And they're either going to ask the question or at least they're going to think it. And so the Lord says you need to testify to them. And that testimony starts with a historical account. God's children must hear what the Lord has done for His people. What's the context in which this law was given? Tell them how God's people were slaves in Egypt and God delivered them by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm from Pharaoh and his false gods. And he led them out of that land and sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness and brought them into that place of promise. That place that he had assured their fathers they would receive. You tell them that. Because every aspect of that is designed to show them Christ. The slavery itself is a vivid image of the slavery into which we were born to sin. The deliverance at every point 
was designed to be an image of Christ and His saving power. He's the one who was Pharaoh's judge. His power is what embarrassed and overthrew Egypt's gods. His blood is what protected God's people from death. And it was the the flesh of the Lamb, the flesh of Christ, that sustained them for their trip through the wilderness. And as they went through that wilderness, it was to learn how to serve and follow Christ. Every source of water pointed them to the living water of Christ. Every morsel of food taught them to trust in Christ for all things. Every moment saw them following the lead of Christ their King. And when they finally entered Canaan, folks, they entered an image of the kingdom of Christ. The children of God must hear the testimony of God's deliverance because that deliverance was meant at every point to show them Christ. Our children must hear that same today. With all of its details. Not only how it all points to Christ and how gracious God is and how trustworthy, but also how broken and fault-ridden and rebellious the people of God have been throughout the years and yet God in His grace restored them and loved them and drew them to Himself. They must hear how great God is and how We aren't. And then they must be urged to respond. When they hear about the grace and the power that Israel encountered, when they hear the commands that God has given His people, which they steadfastly failed to uphold, but which were set before them time and time and time again to show them the fear of the Lord, to teach them to love God. When they hear that, you must urge them to respond. Children, you must learn to be in awe of our God whose power and grace are greater than we can comprehend. Young people, you need to learn to be thankful that God has graciously revealed Himself to you in all of His glory. Adults, you must fear the Lord before them that they might see that though you're not perfect, you're striving To put God before you at all times as your king. And all of us, we must strive to love the Lord our God. Cultivating that love every day as we study Him through His law. But understand, that doesn't come natural. Naturally, we take God for granted. Naturally, we rebel against Him. Naturally, we serve false gods. So teach them that history. But above all else, teach them to rely on God, on His grace, on His mercy. Look at the last verse of our text. Last two verses. The Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive. Notice the emphasis on Him And then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. It will be righteousness. Notice that. Not we will will, uh, create righteousness. We will merit a judgment of righteousness. No, 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 no. We can't earn it. We can't do it. We can't accomplish it. 
But if we live before God by this law which leads us to fear Him, if we live before God by this law that teaches us to love Him, then it will be righteousness because that law will draw us to Christ who is our righteousness. Christ who perfectly kept the law and who is holy and righteous in God's sight. And that will be imputed to us. And so for those who fear the Lord, for those who love Him with a living faith, God will look on you and because of Jesus He will say that one is perfect. God will look on your works, your flawed obedience and because of Christ He says it's exactly what I wanted. That's God's promise. That He will receive us as perfect because of our faith in Christ. And we will show that faith as our fear and love of God lead us to embrace Christ. My friends, we cannot please God on our own. We can't. can't do it. The law of God reveals that truth powerfully, setting before us that calling to fear the Lord and to love Him comprehensively, but then showing our inability to do it. That having shown us our weakness, the law is designed to draw us to Christ the one who is our righteousness and the one who will never let us down. May God cause us and our children after us to embrace that law and through it to embrace Christ whom it reveals. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Your grace and Your mercy are abundant beyond measure. Teach us to cherish the knowledge of who You are and what You've done. That we might find our hope and our help and our strength in You through Your Son, Jesus. This we ask in His name. Amen.